0: G'day, and welcome to Feed for Thought, a regular podcast from Pioneer covering everything from farm systems to crops and products and much, much more.
1: Hi folks, I'm Wade Bell, and today I've got with me my usual crewmates, Matt Daly and Ian Williams, and a special guest again, and, and some of you will have heard him on an earlier podcast, Professor Hamish Gow, so uh, great to have you along again. Kind of a neat way to, to come back in. At the end of the last podcast, you, uh, you mentioned value chain. And Ian just about leapt out of his seat with excitement, <laughs> and and Matt was all fidgety because he'd just been overseas as well. So he we thought it was a, a good opportunity to revisit that topic. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, look, because uh, I think just to give you some still, context, still Hamish. bursting out of my oh, seat, still is, uh, it's still, it's buzzing, still rolling. Uh,
0: because I think that we've just got this massive challenge ahead of ourselves. Just to give some context, I, I was in China in June and went out west into these these large dairy farms. We we're doing one hundred and twenty thousand cow dairy farms. 14,000 liters of cow, bulk somatic cell counts under a hundred thousand. animal health phenomenal so low mastitis, beautiful conditioned cows. they would taken what the US had done in terms of their barn system and provided these play areas that the animals could run around and play in outside. Biosecurity you're walking in it's like going into a surgery onto the you know walking onto the farm. animals are just like really really well fed. And sure, and, and, and they don't didn't have the same need to produce profit like we have in New Zealand because some of them were government owned. They're about producing food for their people. And I just had this aha moment. I thought, good grief. We can't compete with these guys. That was that was you know, sorry, in, in that in that bulk milk commodity kind of market, how are we going to compete? And we can't. We can't. And and Matt Fantastic.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, as much of what much of what I saw in in the States and in Ireland as well. We we just can't be playing in that space, we need to operate with a premium product and uh, go back to the last podcast where we started Fuzzing was around value chains.
3: So so I think that the question here is last podcast we talked about all of the constraints on the farm and the production systems and how we need to change. But we can't fund that change without thinking about our value chains and how Mm. we play in value chains. So for the last 30 years or 40 years, we've created all of these tax-free wealth increases through capital gains and that's how the tax structure has been set up in New Zealand to allow us to be able to do that and extract all those rents and wealth back to us as a farming community but to make this next change the government can't make any tricks so what we have to do as a farming community is think about actually how do we change our whole value chain structure to be able to extract greater rents out of that marketplace and the challenge on that is we've got an amazing milk price model that delivers the highest rents from the international market for milk through a highly governed and regulated milk pricing model and delivers that straight back to the farm gate. And no one can manipulate it. It's massively regulated and gives us really, really clear signals for what the price is at the moment and what it's going to be uh, in the future. And that's allowed us to do all this productivity gain. But for us to go into this future world, we're now going to have to think about what our value chains are because we've always been the highest quality substantially in milk and everyone else has been substantially a long way below us. What's happening, what you talk about, is everyone's coming up. So we used to be so much better on semantic cell count than everyone else in the world. Now technology and systems and production systems and science everything else have come to the game and capital and now they're getting up to that same level. And then you think about environmentally – yeah, That they're capturing all the manure, they're capturing all the methane and they're doing things with it. And so their environmental footprint's going down substantially as well. So once you bring those externalities into the New Zealand system, there's real challenges with the way our pastoral, the economics of our pastoral dairy system look relative to these super large production systems overseas. So which means we've got to flick to go, how do we create value in other
1: ways? Yeah, I mean I look I um why do you- Well I was gonna say so so have you got some insights in that, right? Because what what I see on that front and, and through a farmer's lens is you see small examples dotted around the country of, you know, the Southern Pastures example, the Lewis Road Creamery, you know, where you get these small niche value add, but to do it at a at a national scale, how how do how do you see us kind of moving to a place where we can it's, it's a mindset change because for 40
3: years we've been in this mindset we just need to worry about inside the farm gate and I only worry about one side of my P&L, right? I don't worry about the revenue side because it's been delivered to me, particularly in dairy, and so I just worry about the cost side of my business, right? So Yeah, so, any, so we've
0: really focused on the lowest cost producer
3: well, internationally. Lowest cost producer, but we've driven up our costs by – Capitalizing it all into the land because it's been tax-free. Right. so we've actually shot ourselves in the foot, but we haven't worried about and we haven't been forced to worry about the revenue side because we've been operating this free trade market that we've been playing with everywhere. but now we're a as Rob Hewitt would then say, like we're a rowboat of free trade in an increasingly sea in storm of protectionism around the world. So we have mm. to change our models. Because models you that said something now, like
0: at the end of the last podcast that you thought that the free, free trade is, is dead. free, free is that trade. an overstatement? Rules-based
3: rules based trade for the moment is dead. Wow. Right? Because we've got no appellant body within side the WTO and everyone else, else around the world knows that. Yeah. So what we're going and the government's doing is creating free trade agreements bilaterally and with small groups of people who want to play the same way. But to go and sit there and say that we're going to have global free trade all on rules-based, for the moment, it, there's no appellant bodies. There's no way that we can enforce any of those rules. We'd love it that way from New Zealand, but the rest of the world goes, no. Right? they probably, so, probably go, who, who, are who are you? Who are you, right? <laughs> And so what we have to do is change the way we operate into markets. We've got to create economic value for our partners as well as for ourselves. So we've actually got to go into that. and it's not New Zealand – that has to do this. It's the New Zealand farming community who has to do this. Auckland, they don't care. Wellington, they don't care. Why why would they spend tax dollars as salary and wage earners on helping farmers who get tax free capital wealth gains? Right, So it's all capitalised mm-hmm. into the land. So as a community, we actually have to work out how we tax ourselves and how we go out there and build this. Yes, there's a spillover and all these jobs that come into it, but at the end of the day, it's back on to the agricultural community to think about how do we redesign ourselves. And so Fonterra right now, they're now moving into way more JVs to create economic wealth out of Fonterra as opposed to just the milk price, which that's what's happened with Kerry Dairy. They make 95% of their wealth out of a whole lot of value add and only 10% out of dairy. And so we're going to have to change our business model and the way we do things and engage in these markets. And the challenge on that is we now need to choose markets, right? And countries aren't markets, they're countries. Markets have a very specific consumer with a very specific need who you can name and understand and understand what all their challenges are and solve their problems. And so we think about China as our market. China's not a market, it's a country. Within China there's lots and lots of different mm. markets. Actually within
0: cities there are markets. markets. I mean you look at Beijing and you've got, you know, 20 million people and you within that
3: city alone there's there's a whole series of markets. Well, Within a supermarket there's lots of different markets. So yeah. it's about it's about solving mm. individuals problems which means that's a whole new mindset. We've traded, we've been arbitragers, we've had the Best low-cost product, which we can arbitrage and sell over the world as traders. We got rid of all of our international capacity in these markets over the last 40 years. Fonterra's rebuilt it massively over the last 10. Um, What about meat? Meat, we need to get back in the markets. We need to have, what we used to do is we used to take the best and brightest young students out of Lincoln and Massey and send them into these international markets for the first 10 years of their careers to actually understand those markets and build them and engage them. We're now giving that up to foreigners. Mm. We actually need to change the whole way we think about markets, the way we engage with markets. Look at First Light Foods. Great example. First Light Foods just before COVID moved their whole marketing team to Los Angeles. Mm. Yeah, Best thing they ever did because now they're in the market. Their production team's based over here, but their marketing team's based in the US. Atkins Ranch has been doing that since the 1990s. And so you need to think about what's your market, where are your consumers in that market, where do you get your marketing team there beside them so you can understand their problems. Trend analysis. If you're doing trend analysis, all you're doing is selling commodities, right? You're just arbitrage. We can copycat. To really understand your customer and what they really need, you need to be standing right beside them and understand them deeply. And that's a real challenge because now farmers and the agricultural sector now needs to invest in the marketing side Mm And what that means, we've got to build the relationships into countries. We've got to go and co-invest in those old distribution channels. How, how do
2: we, how do we get the farmer buy into it then to make some of these changes that then we can market off?
3: That's a really good question. I think yeah. we're going to take farmers overseas. So mm-hmm. if you look at the US, we have the, in the US they had the Farmer to Farmer program, and we'd take the opinion leaders and the young and old farmers, and we'd take them on facilitated programs and explore the whole value chain and how that all fits together. We're doing that in New Zealand. I'm working with rural leaders at the moment, and we've created a value chain innovation program where we walk farmers down the value chains. So we do the four big ones. We do dairy, kiwi fruit, red meat, and apples. But we need to do the flip into international markets with them as well. Mm. Uh, Rabobank does a really good job on that. They've got a global farmer program which takes people down those same types of channels.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, you, Matt, you had a group of farmers over in the States. You know, you were with a group of farmers. I mean, what sort of reaction, what was their sort of reflections? I mean, you and I have reflect, you know, reflecting in a certain way. What
2: was your reflections? One of the things was um, we went to a ball game and on the big screen, in between every innings they play ads kind of thing. And the Iowa Corn Growers Association, the Hog Farmers Association, they were all promoting farmers and they were trying to get that link between urban and rural and because the disconnect over there has been so large because of, of population growth, really. And so they're trying to make that, that link between market. There was, there was one thing that smacked them in the head when we were sitting.
3: Well, so, but it's easy for them because they know who their consumer is because it's the… It's
2: right, it's right on their doorstep. It's right on the doorstep,
3: right? That's their major provider. For New Zealand, our real challenge is choosing which markets and consumers where do we want to play with and how. And really understand. So we've got our challenges are way more intractable than what it is in the US. When I was living in Illinois, our main consumer was Chicago. And so Mm. you go to Chicago, you do things in Chicago and you engage with your consumers up there. But you have to bring your consumers and customers on the journey. Otherwise, all you do is you end up as a trader, buy low, sell high, and forever at the volatility of the international market. We've got to change that mathematics and that means we've got to think about value chains in a totally different way to be able to engage in those marketplaces and extract value out of them.
1: Are we, are we nimble enough to be able to adjust to those consumer trends and demands? Like, you know, we've got a lot in New Zealand, we've got a lot of infrastructure. It's, you know, it's based around just getting a whole lot of product packaged up and offshore. Are, yes. Are we able to? Yes, we, we are. We've done it before. We did an 84. So tell us so, about 84. Yeah, give so, us a rundown. So
3: 84, we had to sit there and change our whole system. And so- Because we, of Why? Because New Zealand went bankrupt, we removed all the subsidies and supports and the farming system adjusted with no farming, with no and supports. And we worked out how to create a whole new model. The whole system came in. It probably took us five or 10 years and boom, away we went. And so we've done it once before. And, so we, we,
0: and we were the envy of many, many other nations, weren't we?
3: We were, right? So with our ability to be entrepreneurial and change- yeah. I think we're back at that 84 stage. It's not as clear cut because we had a hard cut then, but we've got the same pressures going on internationally, we just haven't recognised it right now where we need to make that same level of change. And that's going to take some really courageous leadership and an investment collectively in thinking about how to do this change, right? It was it was easier back in 84 because it was an individual one, so you could do it individually farm by farm. Now in New Zealand, and we've got a hyper competitiveness in New Zealand as a result of it, we actually have to go back to more of a collective, cooperative approach and think about how do we do this together. And that's going to challenge us internally in New Zealand because we've got to have these open conversations because everything's been privatised, our innovation's now closed, we've got to flip it and go open innovation Collaboration—we're so small, like if yeah, we're tiny. I mean, like
0: I I worked out one day that the population of Greater Tokyo is forty-two million. We produce enough food for thirty-five million. In other words, we feed—we we we effectively feed one city in Japan.
3: Yeah, and it's not even the biggest city in the the world. world. That's exactly your Mexico city, even bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And, And so this is the thing. It's like if if New Zealand disappeared tomorrow, the rest of the world wouldn't care, right? But we would, and so. The question is back to us is to sit and say, what do we need to do differently to be able to engage and take and facilitate and support those opportunities in those international markets? We need to get people out into those key markets and spending deep time in those markets. You don't learn this going and doing two weeks tour. You learn this by going and spending two or three years living there and breathing it and trying to make sense of it. And you do that better at a young age than an older age because older people bring all these biases to it.
2: So instead of two weeks, next time I'm off for two years. I think the Yates family might have something to say about that. <laughs> well, I we, mean, used to, um,
3: we used to do that. We used to send the young generation yeah. off, no, off of on tours. did it? Fonterra's
0: done
1: it. Yeah, the Dairy Board used to do yeah. it. They'd go all over the world, these young 20-year-olds, into all mm. the different markets. So so, so, is there anyone kind of in, in your mind leading that change or has an appetite to lead that Change because you talked about it's going to take some courageous leadership, and from and, and, from
0: who? Look, and the other thing is too. At the moment, as you know, the next twelve months we're looking at quite a significant amount of pain in the rural community. You know, pretty well all our like our dairy, our beef, our lamb. Uh, I'm not sure about logs, horticulture is probably you know kiwi fruit. We're we're avocados. Yep, we're struggling, really struggling. The
3: the the model is coming under pressure everywhere. And so,
0: so it's not just New Zealand, is that what you're saying, or is that, or or it is New Zealand? Is it across industry? No,
3: it's, it's across Europe, across mm-hmm. a whole range of places. So I think the traditional model we've had is really coming under pressure right across the world. And so the question for us is to think about how do we change that model, and now's the right time to do it. Yeah, like when you're under pressure, that's opportunity. When everyone's happy, well, no one's going to change, are they? No I one's going to change, yeah. right? There's no pressure to change. Yeah. So the pressure opportunity now is to think about how we can do things differently now and explore it differently. And drive it in a different way. And I think those conversations are starting in Wellington and starting with industry.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Everyone's sitting around a little a little stud in terms but, of but tension for change. Yes, yeah. and, and we're we're at high tension right now throughout. I mean, I just think of that old cliche that says,
0: "What is it? In the midst of great uh, adversity, there's huge opportunity."
3: Yeah, and it's not one person that's going to have to no. make this change. There's going to be lots of them, and so we've got to empower and think about how to support all of those different individuals. So there's not going to be one person at the top who comes up and goes, I've got the idea to solve all of this. It's about empowering hundreds of people to all come up with different ideas. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a, that sounds out.
0: like an apple pie kind of statement, though. I mean, what is that going to look like? Give me something to, I can grab hold of.
3: What does empowerment look like in that respect? Empowerment looks like creating open innovation. So yeah, we're going to yeah. have to flip from a closed innovation system, which is held in tight, and it's all about me and protected and IP and everything else, and then say actual fact let's just flip this whole thing on its head and create open innovation and really facilitate that and drive that and share as much as we can so we can all learn off each other because we're not competing against each other. We're competing against the guys who are over that sea. And that's a mindset change that yeah. needs to happen in New Zealand. Yeah. And so then say, what is that? How do we create that lift? How do we share our best insights and best knowledge? collectively
1: around New Zealand without everyone trying to nickel and dime it in New Zealand. So innovation, and we've talked about this offline, is there's an element of risk. It uh, and, and takes capital and, you know, people are going out on a limb. You now how do we bridge that? Uh, how, do, how do we bridge that sort of risk gap? And capital gap, if you like, that's associated. Because, you, you know, you go out on a limb, you, the, the limb could snap. In two minutes. <laughs> in two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to tax ourselves. So,
0: as, and this is no, an industry. No, you're talking about. You're, you're not necessarily talking about an income tax or something like that, are you? Are you?
3: No, no. I don't think it's an income tax. But I think we're going to have to think about how we as an industry tax ourselves, and and look at different ways to tax ourselves to do that innovation. When I worked for Meat and Livestock Australia, the farmers taxed themselves in two ways. They had a levy, which was for all the Horizon One problems which they were dealing with today in the marketplace, and that's that was held within side MLA, which supported all the environmental regulations and all that sort of stuff which was going on and the, their standards, et cetera. And then we had a export tax, which was taken on the border of all the meat that got shipped overseas, which then came back into Horizon 2 and Horizon 3, and that created the innovation fund. So it wasn't coming directly out of the farmer's pocket, it was actually coming out of the industry pocket, and that was supporting the innovation for all the Horizon 2 and Horizon 3 stuff, exploring what the future is going to look like, how do we drive that? So the industry was taxing themselves to be able to drive the innovation that we needed. And they had a large, they had a substantial fund, which then got co-invested with industry, beside industry, so farmers investing beside industry to drive the innovation that worked for them. So the government captured it and they brought that back to then be controlled by the farmers, to then be able to co-invest beside the industry to make it work for them, right? So they could then co-invest with the processes to be able to do it. So they taxed the meat coming from the processor
1: across the border and then they could then co-invest it back with them to make sure that it was working for them. It looks like a great way to kind of wrap up at, at this point. There's always a risk when you go to wrap up that, um, you know, Ian jumps in again for for another kind of wrap up after the wrap up. He's not going to do that today. Uh, I, but as always, I might <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: great. I mean, for a young fella or youngish fella, the history that you get out of it and, and that we need to take the learnings from it. And we got them in the last podcast. I think that came through pretty strong. So yeah, yeah.
1: I, I think as always, uh, I wish you us some, some incredible insights and things to think about. And, and this whole transition from a rules based trade to values based trade and just, you know, how, how we, how we need to kind of rethink the way we do things. As always, you've given us some, some really incredible thoughts of, of yours around, you know, just uh, where, where we're heading I really appreciate that as always. My pleasure. For those of you that are uh, are listening in, feel free to follow and subscribe and, and share the podcast with friends and family. And we look forward to you tuning in again. Thanks very much.